Good evening and welcome to this September 13th edition of Eye in the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. We have a great show for you today, albeit a tad short. Jake Langolas has prepared a piece about the, secretary, or the serenity of the library, and Selma has created a reflection on 9-11. Mark Herring has a story about the mural on a downtown parking lot, and we have sports, weather, and this week in history. Let's begin this week with the news. Protests in Syria continue to worsen as reports are surfacing that Syrian soldiers have been executed in their barracks for refusing to shoot at activists. Those activists claim that eight soldiers were shot dead in Damascus, while other soldiers join an ever-growing stream of defectors from the military. Elsewhere, violence in the street continues as two civilians were killed in the central city of Homs. Most foreign journalists are banned from entering Syria, and it's hard to verify what's really going on. Still, protesters continue to call for international aid in their fight for change. America marked the 10th anniversary of 9-11 this past Sunday with the unveiling of the Twin Towers Memorial in New York City. President Obama, former President George Bush, and 9-11 Mayor Rudy Giuliani were among those who spoke at the ceremony to honor those who had lost their lives that day. Loved ones were present as the nearly 3,000 names were read aloud. The memorial, which features two 30-foot-high reflecting pools adorned with waterfalls, will open to the public later this year. Since it took over patrolling the streets from the police on January 28, 2011, Egypt's military has arrested over 12,000 civilians and brought them before military tribunals. This is more than the total number of civilians who faced military trials during the 30-year rule of Hosni Mubarak and undermine Egypt's move from dictatorship to democratic rule. Nearly 12,000 prosecutions since February is an astounding number and shows how Egypt's military rulers are undermining the transition to democracy, Joe Stork, Deputy Middle East and North African Director of Human Rights Watch, said. Arguably the biggest global story that is getting the least attention here in the West are the monsoon-induced floods in Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh. Pakistan is by far the hardest hit. Some 435 people have been killed and 5 million people affected by the seemingly endless rains. Though not as bad as last year's epic flooding, the humanitarian situation in flood-affected areas of Pakistan is acute. It is so bad, in fact, that President Zadari called Ban Ki-moon yesterday to ask the UN to issue an urgent humanitarian appeal for the flood-affected regions. Security officers raided the offices of an Al Jazeera channel in Egypt and detained some of its staff, the Qatar-based broadcaster said on Sunday, describing the move as an attempt to drive the channel off the air. State news agency MENA said that it had shut down a company that provided facilities to the channel. Al Jazeera Mubashir Live, which broadcasts live international events, MENA said the Al Jazeera unit did not have a proper license. Since it was launched in 1996, Al Jazeera has become the highest-profile satellite news broadcaster in the Middle East. It has frequently had difficulties in governments in regions where media has traditionally been tightly controlled. And in this week's Almost Too Cool for Words story comes from the labs of the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO for short. The observatory measures tiny variations in the distance traveled by two halves of a laser beam that's been split along a perpendicular arms of a kilometer-sized instrument called an interferometer. Scientists have used this technology to literally shrink light in such a way that allows them to detect gravitational waves, a veritable holy grail in the world of physics and astronomy. And in soccer news, Arsenal defeats Swansea City with Andrea Chauvin finding the back of the net in the 40th minute. Manchester City continue their incredible form by defeating Wigan Athletic 3-0, with Sergio Aguero scoring all three goals, which brings his total to an incredible six goals in four games. 
Chelsea defeat Sunderland 2-1 with Fernando Torres coming on late in the game but failing to end his terrible streak. Manchester United destroyed Bolton 5-0, Rooney scoring three goals and Chikorito scoring the other two. Currently, Rooney has scored an even more incredible eight goals in four games. Liverpool fell to Stoke 1-0, and Newcastle played this past Monday drawing at Loftus Road against QPR 0-0, which brings Newcastle up to fourth place in the Premier League standings. For Eye on the Triangle News, I'm Matt Gardner. Librarians are sp- or libraries are supposed to be quiet places. It's not uncommon to be shushed by a hasty librarian if you get a little too boisterous. However, Jake found the library isn't always as quiet as you think. The low but constant din of fellow students surrounds me, enveloping me in a blanket of noise that I almost failed to notice. But the moment I become aware of the noise, the voices grow quiet, as if all at once everyone is scared to break the spontaneous silence that has gripped the library. Suddenly a girl laughs from somewhere beyond the bookshelves, and the silence is broken. The dull plastic clacks of keyboards and the sharp clicks of a hundred mice permeate the stuffy atmosphere. In the distance, a printer is going off, the audible manifestation of new world interfaces colliding with old world paper. Behind me, I hear the metallic clinking of keys attached to passersby as they make their way through the library. Their feet shuffle against the carpet, barely noticeable, but definitely there. Some wear sandals, as evidenced by the leathery thwap of feet meeting and leaving the sole over and over. A chair creaks off somewhere to my left, no doubt someone contemplating a difficult question or problem. The back of my head itches. It makes a rough, almost sandy sound, my strands of hair rubbing up against my scalp. It is a sound I have honestly never taken notice of before. Paper rustles, someone's shoes jingle, no doubt some kind of buckle ringing ever so slightly. Someone puts their earbud on the table in front of them. I can't see them, but I recognize the sound. It is something small, and the sound of plastic on plastic is unmistakable. The girl continues to laugh, no doubt because of the low male murmuring that precedes the laugh. The men laugh now, two or three of them. They are obviously having a very animated conversation. Pausing to think, I take a deep breath and exhale. It is a calming sound, one that almost exists within me. It is slow and silent to all others, but no doubt a very familiar feeling to anyone that has ever taken a moment to breathe during some academic pursuit. Someone's keys gets pulled off the table, the keys hitting the table and then each other as gravity pulls them toward each other. Off to my right, a low Hispanic-sounding voice exclaims, No! in a voice that is adamant and yet not inappropriate for the hushed tones of a library. Someone with a backpack walks by. Someone with a backpack walks by. Her trinkets jingle in a rhythmic fashion in tune with her steps. The voices have died down again, as if all at once everyone decides it is time for silence.
看书的情形，说啥？看你看，妈妈不是讲笑话给妈妈听，听不清，我就在家。WKNC 88.1. That was clearly not sports. I'm not really sure what happened, but, you know, let's blame technology. Huh. Anyway, we're going to move along now. Uh, if you've ever been downtown at the corner of Davy and McDowell, you've probably noticed a big mural with dragons and balloons and much more on it. Our contributor, Mark Herring, set out to find out what all the hubbub was about. And here is his story. On the corner of McDowell and Davy Streets, covering a parking garage that's under construction, 15 large banners line the building, making a quilt of iconic images of Raleigh, mixed with comic book-like depictions from a children's book. These banners were designed by a group of students dubbed the Balloon Boys, and I spoke with them, Joe Lawson, Jordan Diva, and Justin Phillips, to discuss how they won the competition to display their work on what they call a 20,000-square-foot portfolio. Empire Properties was the corporation that owns... They kind of own half of downtown, actually. Um, they own a couple of restaurants downtown, uh, including Raleigh Times and uh, The Pit. Um, but... After we were chosen, we were really just they were our they were our client, and we were commissioned to work for them. Um, and we would meet with them, and they would throw out suggestions, and we would either say, "Yeah, we can do that," or "No, it's not really feasible," or "It changes the artwork too much." We really tried to defend um, keeping the overall concept as original as it was, um, but we did make some concessions. Um, in small details and in the end um, that was things like that added little hidden nuggets of Raleigh in the local area um, that kind of made it richer and gave it a home in the city as opposed to something that could just be hung anywhere. Um, it really planted its roots, so to speak, uh, in the city of Oaks. Great, and so uh, what are kind of what are some of these images that you guys have on these 15 banners um, each 60 by 21 22 feet ish I think the the trademark character is the flying polar bear that seems to be everybody's go-to um, and that's one of those things that kind of spawned from that brainstorming session we had with that big piece of paper it was just we just threw it out there and then it found its way onto the final product um, yeah but we have uh, there's blimps and these old school flying machines and guys on hang gliders <laughs> there's a there's an old man on a gyroscope chasing a sandwich you know just crazy things there's a guy in a recliner being pulled by cardinals you know it's just it's um we just sort of anything went you know um we just want as long as it was fun it was it made the cut so but before they could actually do serious work on the design the team had some corporate convincing to do. And then they sort of set us loose to create these concepts. And we had roughly, how many days was that? We had 10 days. Like 10 days to come up with some concepts. And we had two. Um, and then we pitched them at this charrette. Behind the pitch was Jordan Diva. The pitch. And that's 
incredibly important because that's where it, they start to decide who's going to actually do the final version. So I, I did a lot of the talking at the pitch. And um, I did a leadership program in the fall. It's all about ways of being. And so, and part of the whole deal with it is enrolling people. And so, um, and that's not specifically in the program, but like literally in life, you know, when you have a vision, when you have a project, um, you need people on your team. And so I had gotten these three months of practice with being with people about that in, in that way. And so when I presented the idea, I presented it as though it was already up on the up on the parking deck. And so I talked about what it would be like for families downtown walking by and what it would be like, you know, the experience of seeing this thing in downtown Raleigh and how it would be, you know, like this this exciting fantasy that where adults can kind of get back in touch with what it is to be an an imaginative child and where um, kids can kind of see Raleigh come to life in the way that they would imagine it. So I didn't talk, and and then we talked about some of the process and things, but um, I just felt like that was a really important piece that I noticed was was mostly missing from the other people who pitched the idea. So, you know, who knows what had them choose it ultimately, yeah. but I feel like that's kind of an important thing to notice, you know. Yeah, it was exactly. like, it was like the, this was really about, I was like taking them there, you know, yeah, rather than just talking about it. There's no price in viewing this gallery, so if you're interested, all you have to do is walk downtown. From Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. WKNC 88.1, this is Eye on the Triangle, and I am Chris Chaffee, and I'm joined here now with Katie Costa, our weather lady, weather weather woman. Hey, Chris. Hey. <laughs> what you, is meteorologist, Meteorologist, right? okay. former title. Right, okay, yeah, so... <laughs> With Katie Costa, our meteorologist. Uh, Katie, what what's it like outside? I haven't been out all day. Well, uh, right now it's pretty nice out there. It's uh, in the 80s, really warm. And uh, overall today we saw a beautiful day across the triangle with highs in the upper 80s um, and sunny skies. And tonight we can expect a pleasant evening with temperatures dropping off into the lower 60s and mostly clear. Now tomorrow expect another sunny day, but slightly warmer than we were today with highs peaking into the lower 90s. Now we will see another pleasant evening once again on Wednesday with mostly clear skies and lows in the mid-60s. Mostly sunny skies once again on Thursday with highs in the upper 80s. And it looks as if Thursday is your last chance to enjoy the summer weather for a while since we are going to be seeing our first round of fall weather move through. A cold front will sweep across the triangle Thursday evening, bringing rain and thunderstorms for the evening and cause temperatures to drop down into the upper 50s. Now, this cold front will cause a significant drop in temperatures for the remainder of the week and weekend. Grab your rain jacket on your way out the door Friday since we have a chance of rain and highs will only get up into the lower 60s. Lower 60s for the high on Friday. That is almost a 30 degree drop from Thursday's high. So be sure to pull out those fall clothes since it will definitely feel cooler. 
Now expect a cold and rainy Friday night with temperatures dropping down into the lower 50s. The good news is the rain will be out of here just in time for the weekend, but it will still be a lot cooler than what we have been used to here across the Triangle. Saturday and Sunday, expect highs in the upper 60s and lows in the upper 50s. Saturday will be mostly cloudy, and on Sunday, we'll finally begin to see peaks of sunshine once again. So Sunday looks like the better day to head outside for an afternoon jog. So, Chris, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to these cold and rainy days up ahead. I am definitely going to make sure to spend some time outside before this cold front comes through. You're kidding me. I love the cold weather. It's really? my favorite time of year. Yeah. Like Are you... The rain, too? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to wear pants. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to move along now on our show. we got a This Week in History, and we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back, hopefully, with Selma's piece about 9-11. Hello. And welcome to This Week in History. I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. This week in 1620, the Mayflower began her 66-day voyage. The approximately 50 pilgrims on board traveled across the Atlantic with hopes that they could practice their religion freely in the New World. Back in 1630, the city of Boston was founded. Having been the site of many historical events like the Boston Tea Party and the Boston Massacre, it's no wonder the city attracts over 12 million visitors per year. Also, Boston was home to the first public school and the first subway system in the U.S. In 1787, the Constitution was signed in Philadelphia. It replaces the Articles of the Confederation and formally outlines the system of government for the United States. The U.S. Constitution is the second oldest constitution still in use today. In 1793, construction of the Capitol Building began as George Washington laid the cornerstone for the building. The dome currently seen on the building was actually added on in 1866 and includes almost 9 million pounds of iron. In 1851, the New York Times, which was originally called the New York Daily Times, was first published. In the 160 years since its beginning, the paper has won 106 Pulitzer Prizes and is the third most circulated paper in the United States. In 1976, NASA unveiled the first space shuttle, Enterprise. Enterprise was used for many tests by NASA but never actually flew in space. It was retired in November of 1985 and is now on display at the Smithsonian Museum of Air and Space. Birthdays this week include William Howard Taft in 1857. In 1916, we have Roald Dahl. B.B. King in 1925. Tommy Lee Jones, 1946. Mickey Rourke in 1952. David Copperfield in 1956. Lance Armstrong was born in 1971. And rounding it out, we've got Jimmy Fallon in 1974. Well, that's all the historical knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical. Raleigh. 9-11 was the most horrific attack to ever occur on American soil. It affected the lives of millions of Americans, emotionally and physically. And ten years later, we can still see the after effects. American Muslims had it particularly rough because of their faith. Many other Americans who were hurting and demanding justice took out their frustration on those people who they deemed linked to the attacks. What many don't realize is that American Muslims were just as horrified and afraid as everyone else. I'm Ahmed Amir. I'm a junior in business administration. I was sitting in my fifth grade class trying to concentrate on a paper. And I remember not being able to concentrate because my birthday was coming up. So that was really all I could focus on. And then one of the neighboring teachers came into our classroom and turned on the TV. So I was thinking, oh, sweet, we get to uh, not do work and watch TV. So then I saw what was on and... uh, At first, I was confused. I didn't really understand it until I got home, and my mom was watching the news as well. And she was on the verge of tears, and I just remember thinking, what the heck's going on? So um, when I was younger, it wasn't really perspective for me. It kind of, you know, came into perspective as I got older. 
Many Muslim Americans, like the ones we see on state campus, were just kids when 9-11 occurred, and yet they still suffer the scrutiny many years later. My name is Dana Baloch. I'm a psychology and religious studies major. Um, I was in fifth grade at Eliman, which is an Islamic um, private school here in Raleigh, and um, we were in class, and the teachers just basically told us, like, we were locked down in the classroom and told us that we had to um, evacuate, like, you know, leave the school. We got out after, around 10 o'clock, so after both towers were hit, but no teacher would tell us what happened. Nobody would tell us what happened. We were scared, like, the teachers were just telling us that, you know, we just have to leave. We're getting too many bomb threats and stuff. Um, after that, we didn't go to school for about two weeks because we had too many bomb threats. The, our mosque was vandalized mm-hmm. countless times. Um, and then we had a police officer watch the school for about six months to make sure we were safe. So, Dia Baraket, a business major junior, shares the same story as Zaina Baloch. They went to the same school, but he differed in this way. And uh, that's when my mom decided um, it may be a good idea to switch to a public school. That's when I switched to a public elementary school for that year. And it's sad to say, but I think I lost my Muslim identity that year. I, I was I was somewhat scared of telling people that I was Muslim. I was scared to walk with my mom sometimes in the mall or at Walmart or whenever we'd go shopping. But in the end, I still think that now it made me an even stronger Muslim. And whenever somebody would ask, I would proudly say it. And... As tragic as 9-11 was, I think there are a lot of things that came out of it that were for the benefit of not only Muslims, but of the world. The, the whole world came together, and um, they were somewhat unified. And just yesterday, the 10th anniversary for 9-11, we were able to have a uh, peace and solidarity event here in the Triangle. And in that, in that event, we were able to have the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faith come together and kind of kind of talk about what what where they were and what happened and you know it's nice to see some open-minded people really come together and um, talk about a really sensitive issue um, and without 9/11 it would have been really hard to get the three faiths together and just talk about being unified. Muslim Americans experienced many hardships after the attacks, and many of them felt stronger for it. Personally, I mean, I was too little to understand the effect of the event on Muslims. Um, as a kid, it was just scary. It didn't, I didn't think my, like, I was being attacked because I was Muslim. I thought everyone was in danger, not just Muslims, like everyone in America. I didn't realize that America did get attacked, but even Muslims and American, like, American Muslims were feeling the victim of it even though we didn't really do anything so um but as i grew older i understood and i feel like it's made me a stronger person because i made me um educate myself about my religion and make sure i knew about things that people asked me about so it helped me know more things about myself and my religion 9-11 was hard for everyone but it did affect some people for the better although 9-11 happened when i was only in fifth grade it's nice to see that we see some positive effects 10 years later in that peace and solidarity event. It really brought unity among the three faiths, and it was an amazing event that I felt comfortable in being surrounded by people that understand what we really went through. 9-11 was the worst thing to happen to Americans, and specifically American Muslims. I remember I was in fourth grade in an Islamic school in Orlando, Florida. 
My dad had picked me up early that day, and he had said to the Islamic leader at our mosque that America would never be the same again. It hasn't been. But at least now, 10 years later, we're able to show and experience tolerance and unity. I'm Selma Abdulhai with Eye of the Triangle, and I hope you've been enlightened. Thanks, Selma, for that story. It was very interesting. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to end our show a little early today. We have been racing around. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but Barack Obama will be on campus tomorrow. He'll be speaking at 1155 in Carmichael Gymnasium, excuse me, in Reynolds Coliseum. And we've been um, preparing for that. We're actually going to be broadcasting it live on WKNC. And um, tomorrow I'll be joined by Dr. Andy Taylor and Dr. Clifford Griffin. And we will be discussing the president's jobs bill um, beforehand. And then we will broadcast the speech. And then afterwards we will have some analysis with uh, both of these gentlemen are from the uh, the political science department here at NC State. Um, Again, that is 1145 tomorrow um, a.m. So please join us. Um, I'll be here. At that time, um, and on behalf of all of the contributors at EOT, I want to thank you for listening, and we hope uh, we will you will join us tomorrow right here on on the Triangle uh, and WKNC eighty eight point one.